0: We're considering the beginning of Jesus' earthly life this Christmas season. And we've pictured Christmas as an invasion of grace, which I think really grabs my attention. Because God invaded this planet with his grace in the person of Jesus. Powerful, powerful reality. He didn't completely conquer it though. A lot of that is left for us to participate in as we walk in his grace and his love and let his message be shared and his, um, and his grace be proclaimed. Um, it also tells us that we can't rescue ourselves. God has to rescue us, that's why he sent Jesus, so it's an invasion of grace. Not an invasion, you know, he didn't show up with the angels on the hillside when Jesus was born and say, I have for you good news of great joy. Go and do good works and go to the temple more. You know, and you'll be saved. He said, a savior has been born, it has been done for you. You can rejoice in this. It's not something you have to do because it's just something you can't do. And we need to keep that in mind. Christmas is not a call to good behavior at first. It, it does include that. But at first of all, it's a call to say we're all sinners and lost before God and we need a savior. That's why God did something so outrageously, ridiculously radical as to send his son to earth. Let's read about the birth. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now stop for a second. This is not the focus today. We're gonna focus primarily on the God side today and probably next week and then in a couple weeks, we'll focus a little more on the human side of this entire account. But just notice that Joseph was faithful to the law and yet he did not, He was both, he was both uh, moral and merciful at the same time. Sometimes we think we have to make a choice. I'm gonna be moral and I'm gonna go around judging everybody and pointing out everyone's sin or I'm gonna be merciful and I won't call sins. No, Joseph does both. He says, I've gotta be faithful to God's word. I'm going to have to divorce her. She was unfaithful, he thought but yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace because love covers a multitude of sin. So it, that is just an incredible example of Joseph. Anyway, that is not what the message is about. That's just free of charge today. You can take that as a bonus. But I couldn't grade past there without saying that speaks so heavily to me because that, that's such a hard thing to balance sometimes. Okay, he was faithful to the law, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, not make an example of her and not call her out and let great harm be done to her, possibly even death. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. We want to see three things today. We want to look at the God side. We want to see, just review from last week, the pedigree of Jesus. Okay? And then we want to look at, secondly, the the prophecies about Jesus and then the power of God which is where we're gonna spend most of our time in this message. Last week we looked at the genealogy of Jesus in the first 17 verses of this chapter and it demonstrates that Jesus has the pedigree to be the Hebrew Messiah. He had to come through Abraham and through David and he did but it also shows why he is the savior of all sinners. In this genealogy in verse one, of Matthew one we see this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham okay son of David son of Abraham he has the race in Abraham he has the royalty in David and that David was the most crucial name because he had to be a descendant of King David okay so we see this here and and it also is very clear he is the Messiah the Hebrew anointed one who was to come he's the deliverer That's the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew. All right, so we see that, and then also this genealogy includes women, which was unusual back then. It includes non-Jewish people, Gentiles, and it includes blatantly immoral people like Rahab the harlot and King David. There's Ruth, a Moabitess, Rahab, a prostitute, and if you go to the next one, Now, Jesse, the father of King David, David is the most crucial person in this genealogy to prove that Jesus can be the Messiah. But notice it goes on to say this, and this is radical because he didn't need to do this. Matthew did not need to do this. Did he need to do this? He did not. There was no reason for him to write this sentence other than that he was making a point. The point he made didn't exactly make Jesus' heritage look so pretty. He says, David was the father of Solomon. That's okay, but it goes on to say whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He says, remember that even King David, the most important name in this genealogy, he stole his friend and colleague Uriah's wife and murdered Uriah to cover it up. He didn't, and it wasn't just any soldier's wife in his army It was his friend, the one who risked his own life for David for many years, was one of his generals, and David took his wife and killed him because he wouldn't cover it up, okay? Why did he do this? Why did he point out that David was the most flagrant sinner of any of these people? Because he wants to make a point that Jesus is the savior of all. Not just the Hebrew Messiah. Included in being the Hebrew Messiah is that he is going to provide salvation and forgiveness of sin to all. This is big. okay. And then in verse 16, he changes the pattern again. The second time he really changes the pattern... He says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph and Mary, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. There's the change again. Mary was the mother of Jesus. He he could have just said Joseph gave birth like it does in the rest of it. Joseph gave birth to Jesus. No, it says Mary was the mother of Jesus. Why? Because Joseph wasn't actually the father of Jesus in the sense that the others were. So, we wanna look at that, the pedigree of Jesus. Yes, he broke the pattern, but the, this, this genealogy makes it clear that all are sinners in need of a savior, including King David and Abraham and the great names, as well as the prostitute. And David himself was an adulterer and a murderer, one who, horrible stuff he did. And then if we look at the prophecy about Jesus, that's in verses 22 and 23, where he writes and he says, this is to fulfill. All these things are fulfilling what the Lord said through the prophet. The prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. In other words, what Jesus did was, God was in control. God was in charge. He'd written about this in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew scriptures. This isn't, new, this isn't something new. This is God fulfilling his promises. Now. Let's look at the power of God. Because in order for this genealogy to be able to be written about after the fact and for this prophecy to be fulfilled, it took the power, the power of Almighty God, to work and manipulate history to the point where he brought his son into the world. It's God's power, it's God's grace on our behalf. This, it says in verse 18, is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. This is how. Several years ago, Larry King, the talk show host, was asked who he would like to interview if he had his pick from anybody in history. Who do you think he said? Who'd he say? (laughs) I didn't hear that. (laughs) Elvis, (laughs) No, not Elvis, not Taylor Swift. (laughs) She wasn't even there then, I don't think. He said he'd like to interview Jesus Christ. And he said that he would like to ask Jesus about the virgin birth. Were you born of a virgin, and how did this come about? Because King said, this answer would define history for me. He was right. If Jesus was born without a human father, unlike anybody else in history, he was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit before Mary and Joseph came together, that makes him so completely unique you are obligated to believe in him. There is no other option to say, well, he's a religious leader like another person over here. No, he's not like anybody else. And Larry King was right. He was absolutely right. And you know how many people are looking at Jesus this Christmas and they're looking at, you know, you drive through Streetsboro, there's this nice nativity scene, you drive past the courthouse in Ravenna, there's this nice nativity scene and, and a nice menorah as we celebrated Hanukkah um, on Thursday night, which was wonderful. Um, and they're all, they all, everyone likes the baby Jesus it seems, but they're not asking the question too few people are asking the question, who was this baby really? And what does this represent? And they're willing to say it's at least, at very least it's a legend or a tradition that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, but they're not asking the question, so what? If that's true, what's the significance? And of course the significance, and this becomes the key which unlocks all of human history, like Larry King said, that would change everything. Indeed it does. So it tells us that he is preg- Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Let's talk about this. Look at your outlines. I have Luke 135 quoted for you because it's a parallel that gives it a little more focused detail. The Holy Spirit will come on you. This is to Mary. The angel Gabriel is talking to Mary. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. That's powerful. The Holy Spirit will come on you. I've done a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit. Possibly if there's any one topic I've done more than any other it's that just like like last year We did this whole series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know, and I've done that over and over and over But I dare say that one of the least talked about topics in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the, the virgin conception the supernatural conception of Jesus in fact It's almost unknown by many of us That Jesus lived his whole life by the power of the Spirit He goes around, he says in the book of John, he says, I only do what my father tells me to. And in the book of Luke in particular, but in all the gospels, it tells us the Holy Spirit led him here. The Holy Spirit led him there. He spoke this by the Spirit. Jesus worked in total coordination with the Father and the Holy Spirit during his earthly life. And it started with his conception. By the way, this carries true to us too. If we wanna know Jesus in truth and reality, it always comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. It always comes from the power of God through the Spirit, bringing Jesus alive in our lives through what we call the new birth, right? Jesus was born and God is conceived in us through the work of the Holy Spirit as well. That is an important point to, to note. And when it says, the power of the Almighty will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, it's a picture of the Old Testament where there was the glory of God in the cloud and the fire. We call it the Shekinah glory, that's a descriptive term. And the power came over Mary and the Holy Spirit planted in her womb Jesus. It's a total miracle. And the the ramifications we'll look at in a minute. But what I want to do is mention that many people, for, I've studied this years and years and years, and to this day I don't fully understand why this is such a hot issue. I guess because sex always sells, right? Or lack of it. <laughs> That's all I can figure. Because <laughs> in history, the virgin birth has become like a lightning rod for people that deny the truth of Jesus and deny the truth of God's word, and those who... Hold to the truth of Jesus and the truth of God's word. I've always said if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, every other miracle, you know, but, but there, we get selective, you know. Jonah is another one. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And we don't believe that. Do you believe, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Then what's the problem with a, with a fish swallowing a person? If Jesus came back from the grave. And if Jesus was virgin born, what's the problem with being swallowed by a big fish? What's the problem with the Red Sea parting? It's kind of like, it's very irrational to divide those up and pick little certain ones that we say, I don't believe that. Why? You believe something far bigger. This might be the biggest of all, by the way. But one of the things that people have done is said, well, that's a legend that was made up. And you see, there are all these other stories of ancient gods and goddesses in the ancient world that were virgin born. And so, the Matthew just stole one of those and changed some of the details. That's, you will hear that. Likely, if you take Religion 101 or Philosophy 101 in college, you'll hear that. Something along those lines. Let me tell you the legend of Alexander the Great's birth, so you get the picture. Alexander the Great, I'm using him because he's so famous, His, he was the son of Philip of Macedon, and, um, Here's the birth story. It's that a serpent, a snake, ugh, was seen sharing the bed of Olympias. Olympias was Philip of Macedon's wife. This snake was actually Zeus, the, the chief god of Greece. Zeus came as the form of a snake and conceived with Olympias the son who would be Alexander the Great. That's the virgin birth legend that jesus is copied off of allegedly do you see any similarity there's a similarity in that satan counterfeits that there's you know powerful people had divine births right from the gods but other than that it just stops and it's not the only one there's there's several others like that but they're the same thing, it's like, I, think, I don't know if it's Osiris or whoever it is, another ancient god, but was born out of a rock. Do you see Jesus being born out of a rock? So it, they don't really parallel. The, the, the differences are so much bigger than the similarities. And I just want you to realize this when you hear this stuff that if you dig a little deeper you go, that doesn't hold water at all. They're not very similar. So, and so because of Jesus being pregnant, being conceived through the Holy Spirit, we see in Luke this great statement that the Holy One therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Notice there's the, the result of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary and the most high overshadowing and conceiving Jesus is that the Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. Holy one, set apart for God, pure, perfect, the only perfect person that ever lived, and will be the son of God. Two words, God incarnate, God in flesh. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus was God walking the earth. Look at John chapter one on your outline. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Who's the word? Well, who's the word? Jesus, right, there's really no doubt about that if you read even a tiny bit of the passage. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Invasion of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. God incarnate in Jesus. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's pretty definitive, huh? All the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And, and we're told that he was the Holy One, the Son of God because of the supernatural conception and virgin birth secondly on the top of the next page he's a sinless human person a sinless human person the sacrifice for sin behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world had to be sinless therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven jesus the son of god Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He was truly human, and he empathizes with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He was protected from sin. Did he have to be supernaturally conceived by the Spirit and virgin-born to be without sin, or to be God in flesh I don't know for sure, but that's how God did it, and it seems to imply that there's a connection. Either way, that's how God did it, and he was those things. So, here's a conclusion. Jesus, the Messiah, is God incarnate, the Holy One, the sinless, only begotten Son of God. Nobody like him. Larry King was right. Everything, all of history hinges on this person. Nothing's ever the same again. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. Remember I said this is going to be the God side of things. Indeed, it has been so far. Here's the second part. Mary had a son and named him Jesus. Greek word for the Hebrew, Joshua. Greek word for the Hebrew, Joshua. Jesus means, of course, simply, Joshua. Let me get to where I am huh? Notice in verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He said, Joseph, you're going to divorce Mary quietly. Well, that's good of you, but I want you to realize that actually you don't have to divorce her because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she's going to have a son and you can call his name Jesus. Jesus. Can you imagine how weird that was? Can you imagine trying to explain this to family and friends? Oh yeah, well it's actually the, an angel talked to me and said it was, it was from the Holy Spirit. That's the human side that is like, wow, they were in, they were in a real pickle, weren't they? But the name Jesus. By the way, Jesus. Jesus. Joshua was a very common name. People still use, jo- in fact, several years ago, Joshua was still the number one boy's name. Joshua is still very popular. Jesus is very rare in our society to actually name a boy Jesus, but in some Latin cultures, it's not. So you find, you see Jesus, a girl from our, one of our youth groups. <laughs> This is, just to illustrate this, my point is how common the name Jesus actually is. He was a real person and he had a name that actually started out as very common. It's only what Jesus did that made this name powerful. A a girl in our youth group um, saw a girl in school that had an I love Jesus button that she wore all the time. And she says, oh, you're a Christian, great. And they started talking and hanging out. You know, she felt kind of alienated in her school. That that And so she found a, another Christian who swore an I love Jesus button. They hung out and did stuff. and But after a while, after several weeks, the other girl finally confessed and said, you know, I know you think I'm a born-again Christian like you because I wear this button. But actually, this button says, means I love Jesus. He's my boyfriend. <laughs> and so she, but they still remained friends and laughed about it. But that's, that's that's a reality that that name gets used because it's still a name that is commonly used Jesus could have been named Joe or John now he wasn't because God had that name for him what I'm saying is it's a common name We hear Jesus and we think that must have been like the name that was only used once in history because it was for Jesus. No, God said he's a true person. He's born into this common family and he's got a common name. However, if you look at the third point, Jesus means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. It says he shall save his people from their sin. Can we get down to verse... um, 22, 23, 24, doesn't seem to be moving. Oh, wow, okay. 22 verse 23. 23 there, 24. No, 21, I'm sorry, I'm looking for 21. I really messed you up now. She shall give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus... There's the common name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh shua. Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus. The progression. The name means something extraordinarily earth shatteringly significant. But the name itself was very common. Larry King was right. This one that was born is the hinge of history. Because who sins? Who needs to be forgiven of sin? Who provides forgiveness of sin? Yahweh Shua. So yes, this is the hinge of all history. Jesus is the most important person who ever came to birth. His mission was the most important. However, that name Jesus... (laughs) It says in in Philippians that because Jesus humbled himself and took on the nature of man and went all the way to the cross, that at the name of Jesus, it says... Uh, every knee should bow to, in heaven and earth and under the earth to the glory of God the Father. Every name should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of what Jesus did, that he came down and that he died on the cross, went all the way to the cross, and then he rose from the grave and was exalted to the right hand of heaven, now we can sing that, that, your great name. Now we can sing that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord because of what he has accomplished. So suddenly, it's gone from a common name, Joshua, Jesus, to a name that represents the most important person who's ever lived, the hinge of history, God in flesh, Jesus the Savior. That's why his name and why we sing songs about his name. Have you ever wondered that? If you're not sure, you know, why, what's this about the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus? That's why. Because what God named him was so significant. But in retrospect, it was so significant. When he walked the earth, there were probably other people named Jesus all around him. So, Notice it says he came to save people from their sin. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost, it says in Luke. First John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's how he forgives us, he paid the price for our sin. Jesus is, this is Acts 4.11 and 12, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That name of Jesus, because of who he was and what he did, that is now the name we all must call upon to be rescued, delivered from the penalty of our sin. And then we go on for the rest of our lives calling upon that name to be further delivered from the lingering sin that bogs us down. It all comes through the power of Jesus. Made alive in us by the Holy Spirit, much as he was made alive of Mary by the Holy Spirit. Notice that when Paul talks about living the Christian life, and it says this in Acts, it says this in the Gospels, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that is the living Jesus inside of us. That is how Jesus' life is imparted and grows in us and takes over our lives. close to close again this is the God side I don't have five steps to being a perfect Christian to conclude this message but what I do have is this there's two attitudes we can carry because of the virgin birth because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of a virgin Mary and Joseph took extra steps as we saw to protect that virginity until after the birth of Jesus, we should walk in great humility as Christians. I was so lost, God had to come to earth and perform a miracle, a miraculous conception and a miraculous birth to save me. If I ever look around and say, boy, this world's nasty. These people are immoral, and I want to get high on my high horse because I live better than them. Wait a minute. You can't be saved on your own. You are saved only by God breaking into history in an extraordinary, ridiculous fashion. So proud of that? I think not. How can I be proud? What did I do? I trusted in Jesus. I believed in what he did, not what I do. And we've got to get that through our head. We're, this is not, we're not the moral police. This is not the, the Mr. Christian or Mrs. Christian contest where we walk around saying, I've, I'm, I'm the best Christian. I'm going to win the contest. It's not like that. <laughs> no. We all need Jesus. If we didn't all need Jesus, we wouldn't have the gospel where he died for us. Why would he die for us if he didn't need to? then it would just be like God's son was put on a cross because it seemed like a nice example. No, he had plenty of things as a good example. He he needed him to die for us. But it's humility, okay? We don't have to think we're all that because we're not, right? Jesus came and taught, the first thing he really taught was Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They know they don't have anything to bring before God. Right on. Start by being at bottom, rock bottom. I, I have nothing to offer God. Right on. Now you're walking in truth. You need Jesus. Secondly, then, with great humility, and this is going to sound weird, putting them together, comes great confidence in Christ. Great humility in Christ because we offer nothing for our salvation except to trust what Jesus did, but great confidence, why? Because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on Jesus. Will I fail? Yes, don't say that so confidently. Will you fail? Will we fail? Will we fail as individuals? Will we fail as a church, together? Yes, 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 yes. Do you want it in alphabetical or essay form? All the ways we failed recently. (laughs) However, will Jesus fail? Can I have great confidence in my salvation? Yes, because I'm trusting what Jesus did. Because he came all the way from heaven, God the Son, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary and born in this extraordinary fashion to be the perfect, sinless, one and only begotten Son of God, unlike any other, the Savior for all sin. We can stand confident in our relationship with him and in our salvation, because it's in him, not in us, not in what we trust, do, and not in what we say, and not in how we look, but only in him. Jesus will save his people from their sin initially when we go from lost apart from God to saved and then when we come to him and say I'm still sinning Lord I can't seem to get over these things in my life it's Jesus who delivers us through the power of the Holy Spirit it's not me getting more determined me getting smarter it has nothing to do with being smart or dumb being saved lost spiritual or not nothing to do with that we all know some very, very smart people who are not Christians. We all know some very, very smart people who are Christians. We all know some people who are dumber than a, than a rock that are, that are Christians, and people that are dumber than a rock that are not Christians, right? I do. Had nothing to do with smarts. Like intellectual people don't believe in the virgin birth. Nonsense, There's some of the most brilliant people who have ever lived who believe in the virgin birth. And there's also some people with, you know, Less than smartest people that have ever lived that don't believe in the virgin. I don't believe stuff like that. So, supreme humility, supreme confidence in Jesus because of what we celebrate at Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate this truth that is what we do we celebrate that you cared for us so much that although we were lost and although we were in sin you would not let us go you would not allow us to remain lost without sending your son to rescue help us to grab onto that rescue if if there's anybody here trying to save themselves by being good by going to church by reading the bible by turning over a new leaf by thinking good thoughts um, by being kind. Those are all good things, but that's not what it is, Lord. We trust Jesus and Jesus alone. If there's anyone here who's struggling with society's dialogue that says that somehow uh, Jesus was a myth and Jesus was not virgin born and smart people don't believe that, again, I pray that we would look through that and realize that that's not the case. I pray we would have the understanding that Larry King had in this one sense that if Jesus was indeed truly conceived of the spirit virgin born that everything else changes as a result of this one person father give us give us now the courage to empty our hearts of pride and trust Jesus alone to save and to deliver holy spirit as you birthed Jesus in the womb of Mary as you brought him to life you bring him to life through the new birth in us And I pray that you would grow and fill us with the power, the presence, and the transformation that comes through you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we bring the service to a close, if you have any need of prayer or if you'd like to give your life to Christ this morning, we invite you to come forward that we might.